Hey everybody, thanks for checking out this week's episode of My First Sketch at MyFirstSketch.com. I'm Josh Hyam. As always, feel free to subscribe to the show on iTunes or on SoundCloud to get it automatically. You can also catch the show on the Stitcher app. Like the podcast on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MyFirstSketch. Email me at Josh at MyFirstSketch.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at MyFirstSketch. Today's guest is Ian Fletcher. Currently one half of John and Ian have something to tell you. He's also a writer on the new Fit House team, which is known as Codename Bacchus still, and a graduating executive producer of Temple Smash. His first sketch is called Interview with the Senator, and the sketch is actually performed on the first episode of season six of Temple Smash, which I will embed the video of on myfirstsketch.com. But here for this reading... Ian plays Senator Sam Harper, I play the interviewer, and Andrea Duffy gives the visual information. So let's go to the sketch. Open on an average setting for a pre-taped interview. Fake living room with two adjacent chairs and a small coffee table in between. Seated on the left is the interviewer, and seated on the right is Senator Sam Harper. Interviewer to camera. Good evening. Tonight, I'm sitting down with Senator Sam Harper of Wyoming, who just last week won his title in what one expert called the most improbable victory in American politics. Senator, the political world is still reeling from the shock of this. Do you share any of their surprise? Absolutely not. I wouldn't have run if I didn't think I would win. I suppose my follow-up would have to be, why would you think that? Excuse me? Let me elaborate. You began your campaign in May on the platform of taking babies down a peg. You spent the next six months bombarding the state of Wyoming with attack ads directly entirely at infants. Your campaign's website features a long scroll of pictures and videos of you stealing from and yelling at different babies until they cry. That's without even mentioning the hundreds of other photos you flooded Twitter and Instagram with. Uh, we were very proud of our social media campaign, hashtag stop the babies. <laughs> it's incredible how unashamed you are of this. It's my passion and I'm not going to hide from it. I spent $650 million on this campaign because I believe in this cause. And clearly, the public believes in it and me too. All evidence suggests otherwise. Not any evidence that I see. Former Senator Barry Sanders called your campaign a tasteless joke that we have to keep hearing. The candidate seems to be spending an obscene amount of money just to become the most hated man in the state. What's worse is he will almost certainly succeed in this. One guy, so. Guy Fieri described you as a totally, a truly obnoxious person, loud, aggressive, and hard to be around. That is a direct quote from Guy Fieri. Well, celebrities are always going to have an axe to grind with any rising star. I can assure you the real salt-of-the-earth folk of Wyoming support me fully. Two months ago, a group of over 30,000 state citizens stood outside your house to protest your residence in the state. Not your running for election, but the very notion of you living in the same state as them. What do you say to that? I would invite those 30,000 people to suck an egg because I won. Your lack of self-awareness is bewildering. Thank you. Not a compliment. I'd like now to, to discuss your fortune. Well, I'm a proud business owner, and it's had its perks. That, I know, is an outright lie. You've admitted on several occasions that your wealth is an accumulation of settlements from a series of lawsuits. 
you've tripped and fell in 14 different Hilton hotels and 17 small businesses in your neighborhood. People went bankrupt because of you. The mayor spat in my face. Why are you bragging like that's a good thing? You're a deplorable, viciously stupid human being with no conscience or shame. Well, that's your opinion. Actually, that's the opinion of the Pope, who very literally described you as a deplorable, viciously stupid human being with no conscience or shame after your disastrous visit to the Vatican in August. Ah, Roma. I wouldn't look back on that so fondly. You clearly weren't welcome there. It's reported that immediately upon arriving at that Vatican, you put cigarette butts in between the fingers of any and every statue you could find. You then loudly demand to see some legit angels or TP is going to fly. You were eventually kicked out after your third attempt of stealing the Pope's hat. Since then, the entire Catholic community has named you enemy number one. Well, you know what they say. Any press is good press. Have you seen the press you've gotten? Almost every major network has abandoned objectivity and openly encouraged viewers to take matters into their own hands, reporting your home address, your daily schedule, and your food allergies. Did they tell them my favorite color, too? This isn't cute. So many people want you dead. A stagehand enters from the left and hands the interviewer a piece of paper after briefly whispering in their ear. Ladies and gentlemen, we have some breaking news. The people of Wyoming can let out a sigh of relief tonight because Sam Harper will no longer be their senator. It's been discovered just moments ago that his victory was due entirely to a computing error. We now, we're now willing to reduce his number of votes to a mere 20,000. Well, at least I got those 20,000 people to vote for me. To die. They voted for you to die. Each and every one of them wrote it on their ballot. They were, they were willing to render their votes invalid just to send you that message. So technically, you've got negative 20,000 votes. Jesus. This shouldn't come as a surprise. You're very hated. Well, I can't focus on the negatives right now. In fact, I have an announcement. Please don't. My fellow Americans. Boo! I'm a proud father. No, you're not. No one would have a child with you. Boo! A tax-paying citizen. You're currently being audited for tax evasion, and you have no social security number. Boo! And most of all, a loyal public servant. You once stood outside of Goodwill, and you actively encourage people not to donate or volunteer. You're disgusting. Boo! And I'm here to announce my presidency, my candidacy for president of the United States. I take great comfort in knowing that you will never, ever win. I've already received a campaign donation of $3 billion from the very generous Charles and David Koch. God damn it. Hey, Ian. Hi. All right, so tell me where this idea came from. Uh, The idea for this sketch was... um, I was, I guess... I just finished my first uh, year of uh, college, mm-hmm. and I was interested in getting involved in the, the sketch show that we have there uh, called Temple Smash, which is still going on, executive producer, what, what? <laughs> and uh, it was, uh, my interests were uh, kind of lying like very deeply in uh, sort of like very specific things in sketch comedy at the time, so I was really getting to uh, a bit of Fry and Laurie um, that was all on Netflix, I watched all of that in like a week and mm-hmm. rewatched it. Uh, I was really into uh, Jake and Amir at the time too, who uh, 
their web series uh, is to like very adversarial characters. Mm -hmm. um, so I was very interested in having um, sort of like that very, um, I, I was interested in, in the comedy that you can draw from uh, a straight man who's kind of stating the things that are happening, which is most of what uh, that interviewer character right. is. I wanted most of the laughs to come from the interviewer while the crazy man just kind of nodded in agreement. Right, you have a, uh, like the archetype of telling the audience like this guy is this guy's wrong like why can't you see this yeah like, like look at this asshole or even like hey everybody like we're going to this one um you know pointing and laughing at this guy so you submitted this for temple smash yeah i submitted this along with another sketch that uh who was find. um would we know who was in charge like who would have been like the executive producer at that time of um the executive producers were Andrew Weigel, uh, who uh, he doesn't do much in the comedy community, but he's the drummer for the band Marietta, which broke up recently. They're okay. kind of like a popular area band. Yeah. And then uh, Taylor Plunkett Clemens okay. was involved in the scene. She's oh, I didn't know that she was a Smash person too. Yeah, yeah. She was she was EP when I was when I was coming into the writing team and she was uh, we, we loved having her in charge. There was a point where people kept breaking during a sketch <laughs> and she came out from the booth and was just furious at them. She goes, guys, this isn't Jimmy Fallon. We're professionals here. <laughs> Let's get it moving. And goes back upstairs. <laughs> Doesn't skip a beat at all. Uh, so you were mentioning that you, at, at this point of writing this, you were uh, watching Fry and Laurie and uh, Jake and Amir. What else were, like, what, what made you laugh growing up? What were you watching as a kid? What, um, what was your introduction to comedy? My earliest introduction to comedy and like what I would say is a refined form was uh, the Spielberg cartoons. So Animaniacs, okay. the Brain. Um, stuff that was heavily referential, but more so it was a show that was, they were shows that were built um, on the assumption that their audience wasn't stupid. Right, because someone else brought up Animaniacs recently and I mentioned how I've gone back and watched a couple episodes and I'm just like, there's humor in that that I would not have gotten as a child, but I understand it now. Like, mm -hmm. even entire parodies of movies that children shouldn't be seeing. Like, you know, there's yeah. Godfather parodies and stuff. Like, mm -hmm. which I just, I I, I knew that I knew that the the pigeons were like that Godfather the Casino Goodfellas, Goodfellas yeah. kind of like archetypes. But I had no reference point for those actual real things that they were parodying, like, and which I think is weird for a basically a children's cartoon to do that. And I, I think the intention behind that was uh, kind of like twofold: of it, they wanted to make a show that parents could watch with their kids and enjoy, right, uh, independently, and they wanted to make a show that encouraged kids to look at classic media, mm -hmm. like look at good movies, look at good books, like recognize that what they're doing is making references. And then wondering where those references came from, because that's what happened to me. Right. Because I even remember, like, like, even this is a, a weird example, but like Shrek was like one of the first movies that I I saw, and I, I think I was like a teenager when Shrek came out, where I was like, oh, this joke's for children. Oh, this one's for the adult. Like, they're, like mm -hmm. knowing that this movie was written on two levels for you know both audiences in the theater. Like, and I had never really understood that before. Um, What's your introduction to the sketch comedy? Although those Animaniacs <laughs> cartoons uh, are generally sketch comedy. Yeah, just it's, a, it's a lot of short form stuff. Yeah. Um, Mad TV, unfortunately. All uh, right, don't say, like, don't slag <laughs> off Mad TV. Like, 
for every like I don't know if their success rate is as high as Saturday Night Live is historically, but like no, there's a ton of great people that have come through Matt TV. Yeah, fantastic people. But their general approach to sketch comedy <laughs> is something that I realized growing up that I vehemently disagreed with. I loved it when I was a kid. I right. loved the reoccurring characters. I liked Stuart. I liked Miss Swan. Yeah. I I like sat through the average Asian sketches. Like I, I really gave them the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> and I love the performance. Um, and one thing I will stand by is uh, Keegan-Michael Key's gym teacher Yeah. Uh, that would go on during school announcements and just threaten the yeah. students. Mm -hmm. I loved that. I thought that was so funny. And I, if I watched it today, it would probably hold up for me. Okay. Uh, but We'll see about that. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I'm walking in with a lot of confidence on that one. I have no idea. Um, but I really, uh, I love the show and I love the reoccurring characters. As I got older, I matured more. I mean, I, I liked like Family Guy and South Park too when I was growing up. Yeah. And eventually the, what's valuable about those shows, and there is value in each and every one mm -hmm. of those shows. Uh, Family Guy was doing good jokes. South Park was doing good parody. Uh, not all the time, but eventually I kind of outgrew it. It just seemed so juvenile. Mm -hmm. A lot of what was like the fundamental cornerstones of these shows. And that sort of included Mad TV. Yeah, um, I, I would say that the Mad TV audience was definitely, would, the target was skewed even lower than Saturday Night Live is. Because like, mm -hmm. uh, Saturday Night Live, like um, Jim Downey, the one of the famous writers, has always said that when you're in high school, that's your favorite cast. That, like, and they know that they're writing for high school students. Mm -hmm. But I would say that Mad TV was even lower than, like, was younger than that even, because yeah. they're so broad and it's so cartoony at times. Like, mm -hmm. That being said, they, like, uh, with more ease, had a more diverse cast than, like, SNL did. Yes. Even today, really. Which I think uh, was definitely one of the, the, harm, the hallmarks. And, like, they were definitely out to do that, because I'm... Uh, like, there were, there were years where there wasn't an African-American woman on Saturday Night Live and, yeah. you know, Deborah Wilson for five years, and there's always someone going through. There's a, one woman from the show that's now doing car insurance commercials or something, mm -hmm. where I'm always like, oh, she's from Mad TV, but. Yeah, I mean, it's like, SNL, like, whenever I watch SNL uh, with my girlfriend, we always play, uh, we never want to, it's usually like the following the weekend, so it's like a Monday night. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, <laughs> um, uh, I'll like uh, play a little drinking game in my head called uh, When Sashir's a Maid are going to show up. <laughs> and I never have to ever drink, really. Uh, yes. Because uh, I've had conversations with people about like, where's Sashir this year? Like, what's yeah. happening? Yeah, like, where'd she go? Like, she's barely, well, I think this year in general, the cast is too big. Like, there's too many people. It is for a 90 minute show and you know Bobby Moynihan's on one sketch like mm -hmm. like yeah, and Bobby Moynihan I know why he's backing off though he's got two pilots that's what I'm saying I, I I understand he's probably in his last year of his contract and he's and that's fine but like it's Mikey Day and then other uh the new, other new guy uh and yeah. then there's, and there's just, just tons like of other people around now granted I like Mikey Day I think yeah, he's, he's doing pretty well but why do you have 16 people on the cast when you're using five more than any like yeah Spread out a little bit more. Yeah. Um, with all that being said, since you mentioned Mad TV, do you have a favorite Mad TV cast member? Um, I mean, God, it's it's probably 
Oh, man. I, I mean, Keegan-Michael Key is an easy answer. Jordan Peele is an easy answer. But if I want to say, like, hard cast member of Mad TV, probably Mo Collins. Okay. Just someone who was, like, very patently in, stayed in the world of sketch in just Mad TV. Yeah. Uh, I liked Mo Collins. I thought she was very funny. Although she did do the... Uh... She did uh, Joan Calamezzo on Parks and Rec. And, well, I was thinking of uh, Arrested Development. She was the, the business model. Oh, my God, she was. I forgot Starla. that completely. Yep. Yeah. She was I, another one that whenever she popped, I was like, all right, cool. Like, I always really loved her voice on the show. I always thought she had, like, a grasp over tone that was just so, like, somehow it, she could go, f- she had this, like, way of being, like, condescending and sad at the same time <laughs> with a lot of her characters. Uh, specifically, like, even with, like, Stuart's mother. Like, Stuart's mom was really funny. Like, she had that same like condescending like where she had this crazy man child of, of a kid but she also was so like down beaten because yeah. her the father left it was always last thursday it was, was always just, yeah i definitely see that for sure yeah she was this very ridiculous like um uh like an august wilson play character <laughs> like, uh, just like tragic First time August Wilson's been brought up here. <laughs> um, uh, and then since I asked everyone else, uh, favorite Saturday Night Live cast member? Uh, favorite Saturday Night Of the current cast? Any, uh, all time. Um, God, probably still Kate McKinnon. Okay. Um, she is probably, I mean, she's in the ranks with like Maya Rudolph in terms of range. Um, I think... I, I my like kind of like litmus was always um, oh my god I'm forgetting her name Kristen Wiig mm-hmm. uh, uh, of just like this is range and then I yeah. realized like uh, like I kind of liked Kate McKinnon more after a year so like I like her in sketch more like I still love Kristen Wiig I still think she does great stuff but I don't know I think probably Kate McKinnon's my favorite the um her as Jeff Sessions as Forrest Gump a couple weeks ago was just ridiculous. so weird and just, ugh, I loved it. Yeah, it was, it was great. very good, especially after like a long dry spell when it came to political humor from them. <laughs> um, with, all right, so you wrote this for Temple Smash. Mm-hmm. Is that your first attempt of performing and, ri- like, and writing and performing? Like, did you, were you a theater kid in high school? Were you? Um, well, the year prior, I acted for Smash. There were no openings on the team okay. my freshman year. So I acted for Smash, and I was involved in the lighting department. So I was acting a little bit. Um, and I was doing sketches for, like, Jess Smith. Yeah. Who, Jess Smith was also head writer uh, when I was picked for the team. And she's mm-hmm. uh, great. She's, she was always, like, very supportive and fun. Um, prior to that, my senior year of high school, I did stand-up in like this little coffee house which was like small variety shows that students would put on like once a month and where was where was this like uh, where are you from marple newtown senior high school it's outside of the city in broomall which is okay like the halfway point between here and westchester okay um so temple smash what in your working lighting department you you're acting what is the desire to join the writing team uh, the di- d- desire was immediate. After I high school, I was I, I did stand up in that coffee house. I did a variety show where I wrote like skits for it as an MC. I was not actually picked as an MC. Right. Um, the teachers you had to audition to be an MC, and the MCs like put on little skits in between. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to call them skits because they were not sketches. <laughs> um, uh, uh, you put them on between the different acts, and it was just supposed to keep the crowd going. And uh, everyone auditioned. Um, I auditioned where uh, I like made fun of the crowd and then said uh, that Alan Combs had flown out here to sing Everything's Coming Up Roses. <laughs> Which they didn't think was funny. Well, would a high school no. audience know that? Rep- like, they were adult teachers. They were like 40-year-old <laughs> men. I thought maybe they'd like it. <laughs> like, why would anyone? I just always thought, because Alan Combs is just like this, this like petrified little liberal character. Yeah, the... the um, He's the guy that Hannity slapped the, around. Right, the, the uh, there's a, a... I think it's Family Guy that does a joke where they go to Han- the old Hannity and Combs show... And it's Hannity yelling at Droopy Dog, the old like <laughs> Warner Brothers cartoon, just like, oh, that's not right, Sean. That's not how I talk. Like, which is a, a, a great Family Guy. It's really but, accurate. Uh, so, um, so I wasn't picked as an MC, and I uh, uh, they cast the other MCs, and I was like, okay, well, I didn't get in. Whatever. It was kind of a bummer. Mm-hmm. And then all of the MCs came up to me after they got picked, and they were like, Ian, we don't know how to make jokes. We don't know how to make. Can you? Just help us. And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, I'll help. And I helped, and they made me part of the show. Um, and then to get back at me, the teacher that didn't pick me for the team, or to be an MC, he uh, wrote everyone else's name on the program, and then whenever I showed up in a skit, he would write, and guest. Oh, my gosh. Like, because, like, that, you had to get back at that high schooler. Like, what is that? Like, that's... And, like, I talked to the two of them beforehand, and I was like, hey, is it okay if I do this? Like, I don't want to step on anyone's toes. And I went, yeah, it's fine. And then afterwards, like, I heard from a teacher I became buddies with that that teacher who had uh, called me guest also was saying behind my back to other teachers that I'm smug and obnoxious. <laughs> Didn't know I was that. Um... Uh, it's great to have, for teachers to have grudges yeah. against their students. Yeah. No, uh, every other teacher was like, I wish Ian would, like, put himself out there more and be less quiet. But this guy was like, uh, yeah, he's a swinging dick asshole. He's oh. a huge fucking prick. That's great. So that was cool. That's the first feud I ever had in high school, and it was with a 42-year-old man. <laughs> teacher. What the fuck, dude? <laughs> like, All right, so Temple Smash. You're, you, get, you become a writer in the, the sophomore year. Mm-hmm. And this sketch goes up, which I will find and I will post and <laughs> I will love it. Because uh, I love when the first sketch gets, there's evidence of the first sketch. I, I love it oh, so yeah, much. On SD cameras, no less. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the experience of Smash? Because I, like, I would have killed for a college sketch comedy show, like, um, in my experience. My description of Smash, and this is, like, if I've been interviewed about Smash, like, a handful of times by, like, student newspapers and uh, like people doing projects and the mm-hmm. first thing I say about it every single time is that it is uh, and I mean this in the most affectionate way possible it's the intramural soccer of comedy right. uh, everybody's allowed to be involved everybody gets a trophy for trying as long as you show up and you try your best yeah we will love you for it right um, so smash has uh, a cast and crew of, uh, of upwards of 50 people um, at any given time um, and when I got there uh, and I joined the team, I was joining uh, with two new writers, and then I was joining a team of like five other very experienced writers. Mm-hmm. Um, among them were like Max Schulnick and John Plester and Jess Smith and mm-hmm. Andrew Weigel. Um, and uh, they were all 
great. They were all uh, just so much better at it than me to begin with. They weren't writing the same things as me and they weren't making the same references as me. Or, or I was writing very, very like dense dialogue as you can see. Right. And that was consistent in like most of my sketches for the first year. Um, Where do you think that comes from? The dense dialogue, like that, that uh, trademark of like... From me, just like from how I talk. I, I, I'm, I've never been uh, uh, a person of few words. Right. Uh, I have a difficult time summing up my thoughts in, uh, in a condensed, concise way. So I, I take a long time to say things. Mm -hmm. And to, uh, I like to cover all my bases. Right. I'm one of those person that, people that don't like to uh, offend with my language. So if like, I don't cover like, one aspect of what I'm talking about, I feel like I've not done it justice. But it's not like a, a, like a distinct... Because I know other people... Like I've, I've seen comedians and writers like, very clearly ripping off... like how Kevin Smith writes or like, you know, that, that same dense wordy verbose, rat, like even rat-a-tat of, of Kevin Smith, Quinn Tarantino, where like that's, mm -hmm. it's just based on how you talk instead of necessarily like homage to someone else or. It, it's, it's based on how I talk. It's, it's a lot of the media I took in. So like Fryon Laurie was very dense. I was watching the West Wing and loving it. Uh, my freshman year mm -hmm. in college. Uh, and I know that there's plenty of gripes to be had with Aaron Sorkin. But uh, his dialogue is just off the charts fun for me. Yeah, I love reading, uh, listening to dialogue in the West Wing. I love the characters in the West Wing, um, and I wanted to have characters that were kind of like very true like that and didn't shut up because they had a lot to say. Mm -hmm. So it that definitely informed my characters um, and how I wrote. So. Uh Smash! You're you're in the room sophomore year. Were you head writer last year, or I was. So you're head writer junior year, and now executive producer. Yeah. Senior year. Uh, there's one more episode this year, mm -hmm. and then you're hopefully done and done. So like, yeah, your time at Temple's finished. Yeah. Um. So what? So where do we start with John and Ian? I have something to tell you. John and Ian started. Um, uh, during my sophomore year, I got a job as a student uh, worker position as sort of an attendant in the studios um, at uh, where we filmed Smash in the Annenberg building. Um, and the job essentially was to sit around and make sure people don't like pee on the cameras. Mm -hmm. And uh, John also had a job there. So we sort of started talking. Um, once I became a writer on the team, he uh, was like chatting with me throughout the first semester. And the second semester, I get the job, and we're chatting more and more. And um, initially, it was just about like mutual interest. Uh, he liked a lot of the same books as me. Uh, he liked some of the similar music uh, to me. He had a lot of the same opinions on TV and stuff. So we would chat about that stuff. And um, uh, he sort of also acted as something of like a mentor for like a little while because I felt very, uh, whenever I get involved in something, I always feel like I'm taking someone else's spot and I should yeah. like do my due diligence and, and not ruffle any feathers. So I was very quiet as a writer on Smash for the first uh, couple of episodes. And John was sort of encouraging me to come out of my shell mm -hmm. and uh, uh, like be more proud of my work and, and stand behind it more. Um, and he would also like give me notes and he was one of the first people like give me notes on my writing. And we would chat at work more and more, and we started riffing on something 
um, based on just our height difference. Right. Uh, and that's where our first sketch, Twins, came from, uh, which were two identical twins. Uh, John was big and strong, and I was uh, very sick. I was just extremely sick. Okay. Um, and uh, we riffed on it for a little while, and he was just like, do you want to write a sketch show together? Um, and I said, sure. So uh, he knew so many people at Fit. He talked to Jack, and he got us to... Uh, he got us a spot uh, to open for the Flat Earth that summer. Mm -hmm. So we just sort of wrote a show. And uh, uh, it, it worked out very well. We don't really do twins anymore because it's sort of like ableist a little bit. And we didn't realize it at the time. But like, I've got like a crutch and we do a thing where like, right. we're going like, which one's which, which one's which? And John's like running around in a circle and I'm limping behind him. <laughs> um, and like it was physically funny and like we had a good time doing it and after like a year I was just like mm, I think maybe we should not do the sketch anymore right because it could be like construed as like mean mm -hmm. and I didn't want to do that to anybody um I was I'm always intrigued by the people that do multiple projects especially with the same people so you're writing on smash Ian I mean John's also in the room mm -hmm. and then you two start a duo together how do you pick and choose what material goes to what um, or went to what? It's a lot of us pitching ideas to each other and kind of just off the bat saying like yes or no. Right. Um, so if we have an idea and one of us is just really excited about it, we'll always explore it for them. Mm -hmm. um, even if like we aren't necessarily uh, into the idea that much like John's definitely pitched ideas to me that I was like, oh, I don't know if that's strong enough on his own. But he was so excited about it that I didn't want to say no. And he's done the same for me. Um, but ultimately, like, we'll try to find something that fits a general theme. Our voice for the first year of writing, uh, our characters were all peas in a pod. They were all two idiots that were in total agreement with each other. Right. Um, and that was fun. And that's sort of where our name came from, is our first show was all... Uh, sketches where we're talking to the crowd and uh, uh, so we called the show John and Ian have something to tell you and after uh, the first show happened uh, I can't remember which one of us said it but one of us was just like we should just make that our name right because uh, <laughs> we were we were coming up behind uh, the incredible shrinking Matt and Jackie and we're like long names work it's great <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, so we, we kept that name, and um, so that's generally how one of us will pitch the idea. If we can riff on it for long enough, it usually gets into the show. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll read it over the next day and see if it's like still as pretty in the cold light of day. Uh, we have a phrase that we use called, uh, oh, that's, that one's a puppy town. And it means uh, it's in reference to a sketch we wrote called Puppy Town, okay. where it was two guys talking about... Uh, um, mythological town where uh, puppies are living uh, self-sufficiently and uh, running their own government and having their own like executions and uh, running their own businesses and we wrote it and we thought it was so funny mm. and the next day we read it and it was, <laughs> it's not a funny sketch at all <laughs> it was a really bad sketch and it was really stupid so every once in a while we'll write another puppy town and look at it and go nope that's not a good sketch we were just excited about a dumb idea
Uh, have you done any of like, the comedy classes through FIT or? I did uh, Improv 101 with uh, Meredith Weir, which okay. was fun, fun, fun. Um, I really liked doing that. And uh, it was a good experience for me. I'm bad at improv and I feel uncomfortable doing improv. So it's not something that I've been actively pursuing. Right. Uh, but John's been encouraging me. Like <laughs> once every like four months, John just says, like, take an improv class. Like, stop doing this. <laughs> uh, and uh, one day I'll listen to him. <laughs> Uh, so then, so sorry, John and Ian, you have Smash. Uh, I mean, your involvement in Smash is going to end with this next episode. Um, so, what is the uh, impetus to submit for Bacchus for the new Fit House team? Um, well, I initially submitted to um, I submitted to what is now the decoy uh, mm-hmm. the first time around, and. The way in which I sub- uh, I got super sick the weekend it was due. I was uh, dealing with like classes and work leading up to it, and I didn't really have time to work on the pack, and I wasn't sure if I was interested. I got super sick the weekend it was due and just submitted old sketches, and I didn't get in. Um, and this time around for Bacchus, I was uh, a lot more motivated and a lot more interested and I liked my chances a little bit more because mm-hmm. uh, Catherine knew me uh, because we had done Up All Night together a few months prior. Um, that like 24 right. hour, yeah. The, yeah, I think I saw that one. Oh, did the, you? There was a the you did an intro video with like Tiny Shalhoub, like you you repurposed like the monk. Yeah, we've done a lot of monk title. Stuff. Yeah, because that came up last night. Like, well, I mean, we're recording this tonight after the day before the day after the most recent John and Ian run at fit with flat earth. And there was a Tony Shalhoub joke. And I'm just like, is that a thing for these guys? Like, I, I like Tony Shalhoub a lot. I, <laughs> so like, I he's your, Monk growing he's up. like your go-to reference of like, he's just got such a great name. There's, a, there's, there's a music to his voice. And I, I love saying it. And more so like Tony Shalhoub is such an average celebrity. He's a very talented actor, but he's never done anything to get in the tabloids. He is deserving of no scrutiny right. he's as a human being. One of those those actors that has complete privacy where yeah. like he's gonna walk like you walk down the street and you're like, wait, is that is that that guy? Is that like, Tony Shalhoub? Like yeah. where half the people won't even know his name. Like, is that Monk? Like he's just like he's in between like Stanley Tucci and like JD Salinger. <laughs> if that like he's not like a total recluse. He just has no reason for you to follow him around. Right. And he assumes as much. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he is, you know, a 50-something-year-old character actor. Yeah, like, why bother? Why bother? Um, <laughs> wait, where were we before we went on Tony Shalhoub? Oh. Uh, Bacchus. Oh, uh, Up All Night. Up All Night. Okay, and then I was going for Bacchus, yeah. Yeah, because I think that was the first time I saw Up All Night was when you and John were the directors. Um, yeah, it was mostly John as the director. We lost a writer, so I just became a writer, and John sort of stepped in as director. So, Bacchus. Uh, I've talked to I've talked to Hodge since mm-hmm. Bacchus was uh, the, the writing room was put together, and I've talked to Andrea. I don't know what order these two are going to go in. Um, what is your impression of Bacchus? Everything I've heard so far is that you're, there's a darkness or yeah. a weirdness that you're going for. Yeah, there's definitely uh, there's definitely a, like a bit of darkness, but that's I wouldn't even say that's like atypical uh, for. Philly in general. Um, when John and I went to Toronto last year, uh, we were on the last like lineup of people 
going uh, from Philly. So like mm-hmm. Matt and Jackie had just gone, the Flat Earth had just gone. And we go and we did our show. And uh, afterwards, uh, this older woman, she, she was in her 50s maybe, um, she was super nice. She's like, first of all, I loved your show. I'm like, thank you so much. Uh, why is Philly so sad? <laughs> why are you guys so like dark and so sad? And we were like, I don't know. Why is Canada so fucking cheery? <laughs> <laughs> um, it was uh, so like while Bacchus is dark, I wouldn't even say that we're like strangely okay, dark. Okay, so it's not like so you actually think it might be like a a byproduct of the city, like yeah. I mean, I think that there's like I I, I think Philly is uh, most of the people doing sketch in Philly uh, are using improv to inform it. I'm sort of like one of the exceptions, um, but I I think fundamentally uh, what is uh, appealing to like dark sketches and sad sketches to Philadelphia comedians is that we're focused on finding uh, very fundamental truths for our characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what like propels a lot of our humor. And that's where like we'll get the biggest laugh is when we say something that's not necessarily like a joke, but just something that is uh, very patently true to who the characters we are playing are right, um, and I, I I would give examples from like uh, l- like our show uh, last year we did a bike rat sketch um, and it was a reoccurring sketch that happened in three beats throughout the show. It was two kids meeting up to fight uh, by the bike racks and uh, nobody shows up and they sort of um, reveal that they've got like rough home lives home lives and uh, one of the jokes that we did uh, is like uh, I thought that this fight was gonna, I don't know, fix all my problems at home. And there was a lot of like jokes like that that were like steeped in like this almost like m- this melodrama. Mm-hmm. And um, that's where we would get our strongest laughs. That's, that was our most popular sketch that we had that year, mm-hmm. I would say. And it came very fundamentally from this idea that like uh, people are realizing again that melodrama is really fucking funny. <laughs> melodrama was the original kind of comedy that was existing in like Greek theaters. Right. And uh, I would say that like there's been a resurgence of that coming from shows like uh, Shameless, I've never seen, but I've heard is sort of like just tragically sad. Mm. Uh, Louis is f- for sure a melodrama. Right. And that's why it's like seen as so revolutionary because it sort of returned melodrama to the stage. Um, I, I think like there's a truth in sadness uh, and it's easier to see a truth in sadness than it is to see it in anger or even uh, happiness. Uh, and I, I don't really know why, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I think people believe it more um, from what I've seen. I just think people believe sadness more and when they can believe it, when they can suspend their disbelief and really follow your character, it becomes so much funnier for them. Uh, okay, so you've had a, leader, a leadership position with Smash, and you're now involved again in another, a different writer's room. You've been doing this for a decent percentage of your life for being so young. Like, you've been pursuing comedy. Like, yeah. Um, is there something that you've learned from comedy that you would pass on to someone that's you know new to the scene, like? That, um, that new sketch writer coming into a 101 or a sketch up, like, what would you pass along? Um, I think the biggest thing to 
pass along is um, never, I guess, be afraid to expose yourself and never be so cruel as to expose others. I think that was the first thing I like fundamentally understood is that standing on the sidelines and saying something like mean about someone else or like having a commentary on someone else that's critical uh, is going to be very ineffective if you've done no self-exposure beforehand. Right. Um, I think it's really hard to be a comedian that mocks other people or has like a meanness in their voice in comedy because after a while like you're just Daniel Tosh, you're Anthony Jeselnik, you're a shock comedian that's saying things to shock people. Mm-hmm. And that that's a flavor people like. But I, I think you will fail eventually. Um, and I think, uh, I, I think the first steps into comedy need to be introspective. Mm-hmm. I think they need to be a reflection of the self and they need to be an exposure of the self. Um, because that's when I was experiencing my first successes is when I was sort of not necessarily self-deprecating, but definitely like explaining things in my life and explaining things about me. Right. Um, and I think that's where everyone needs to start. And and then like, I mean, you mentioned the draw to doing Temple Smash when you get there. Uh, why do you do comedy? Why why does it still um, move you? Like, why is this how you spend your time? I mean, the, the diplomatic answer is that I... Um, I'm good at comedy. I, I mean, not to be like a douche, but like I, I think I'm diplomatic. good at comedy. I think I'm pretty good at it. Mm. And um, I was very, uh, uh, from a very young young age, I was uh, acknowledging the notion and very moved by the notion that that media influences the national dialogue, that media affects the national dialogue, and that what I watched growing up shaped who I was as a person. Um, and I thought that was really important. And I thought because I had acknowledged that and because um, I watched like porn when I was 14 and I was like, well, I can never run for Congress. I can never get involved in politics <laughs> because they'll find it. Um, uh, and uh, so I had like already written that off as a possibility for me. Um, and, but I really wanted to affect the national dialogue. Jon Stewart uh, was so fundamentally important to me as a kid. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, the, the Daily Show was so fundamentally important to me as a kid, and the Colbert Report, uh, as just like uh, satirical commentary, was so viciously funny for me in so many ways, and I just thought it was important. I thought that what they were doing was important and it was fun, and I wanted to do something important and fun. All right, thanks, Ian. Yeah, no problem. If you dig into the My First Sketch archives, you can hear John's side of John and Ian have something to tell you in episode 22. And I mentioned it during the interview, but my chat with Andrea Duffy will appear in a couple weeks on this podcast. Ian is heading to Montreal this weekend to perform with John and Ian have something to tell you on May 7th. Then, when after he returns to Philadelphia, Codename Bacchus finally premieres at Philly Improv Theater over two weeks, May 11, 12, 18, and 19, Thursdays and Friday nights, all those shows at her at 
And although Ian's time with Temple Smash has come to an end, you can check out past episodes at vimeo.com slash temple smash. My First Sketch is a Philly Sketchfest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com or on Twitter at phlsketchfest. Also, for more information about comedy in Philly, head to watercooler.com. The music on this episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. And, of course, like my first sketch on Facebook. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go see some comedy.